Welcome to Salem Alliance Church. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. This week's message is by Brian Candelo. Good morning, church. Do you ever have a night start off normally enough, but as it closes, you find yourself hiding in the shrubbery in front of some strange house, hoping not to get caught by the police? Anyone? A couple of us in this room share the same story. When I was in high school, I uh, drove over to a friend's house uh, one, one weekend, and when I showed up, a friend was there and another guy was there, and when I walked in the door, they were both dressed head to toe in ninja suits, just full on ninja with the mask and everything. All you could see was their eyes. Now, wisdom would tell you, if you go to a friend's house and they are dressed up like ninjas, what is your response? Run. Run. I heard some stay in there. Run. You should run away because this can't possibly be leading to a good place. But I stayed. I was like, guys, what's going on? What's with the outfits? And they're like, come here, come here. We want to show you something. Uh, They had taken a 4th of July variety pack of fireworks, and they had emptied out all of the explosive contents into a couple of toilet paper rolls that they had wrapped in duct tape and put fuses in the top. And they're like, we're going to see if these things blow up. Now, what should I have done at this moment? Run. So I said, gentlemen, I don't think you're thinking this through clearly. The fine people of this hamlet would not appreciate the cacophony that you are about to subject them to. I believe it would be in our better interest if we stayed here and wrote encouragement cards to missionaries. (laughs) What? I could say that. It came out of my mouth more like, sure, okay. So they're like, no, this is going to be great. And, and I'm like, Ugh. and they're like, no, come on, really, this is going to be a lot of fun. And I'm like, Ugh. so I, I do it. So we start walking around the neighborhood, two ninjas and me <laughs> in jeans and a sweatshirt. And I'm thinking, honestly, I'm thinking, first of all, there's no way these things are possibly going to work. And second, there's no way they're going to have the guts to actually light them off. So I think I'm in the clear. So we're walking around the neighborhood, and as we're walking, I hear behind me this sound that, that vaguely sounds like bacon sizzling. And I turn around, and one of the guys has lit off one of these things. And he doesn't know what to do with it necessarily, because we're just walking. So he just hurls it into the middle of the street, and it goes off. And it is concussive. And it may or may not have registered on the Richter scale. I don't know. But you could feel it in your chest. And I'm like, oh, what just happened? And so lights on all of these surrounding homes start turning on immediately. And within minutes, we could hear sirens. Now, you can't walk casually when you're dressed like a ninja. (laughs) So they start running. And as they start running... I start running, because I don't know what to do with myself either. So we start running, and we get to a point where we can see lights flashing and coming at us, so we veer off, and we dive into this person's front yard and hide in the shrubs. And I'm laying there in the shrubbery, (laughs) and I'm thinking all kinds of really good thoughts about myself. Like, you're an idiot. What did you do this for? How did you let them talk you into this moment? 
You could see how it was going to play out, and you still walked into it. Why did you let yourself get influenced in this way? And so I start to pray, like, God, just please, I, I want to graduate high school, and, and God, if you, if whatever you need of me in my life, if you want me to ride a bus to Mexico and back and forth a lot of years, I'll do that for you, God, whatever it takes, you know, because it's really amazing that God lets us grow up, isn't it, that we make these decisions? And so 45 minutes we, we laid there until things got really quiet again and lights started turning off. And so we started walking back to this kid's house so I could go home. And I hear behind me, no joke, I hear <laughs> He lit off a second one. <laughs> Throws that thing. So really, I just book it to the car and I'm out and I'm gone. Now, we might not share the same story, but we all understand that influence is powerful, don't we? I mean, how many of us in this room have been influenced to do something dumb? Right? Yes. That's what we share in common. Because influence is powerful. It's why we eat that really spicy food that we don't want to eat. It's why we go to that movie that we're not crazy about. It's why we wear that outfit that we're like, yeah. It's why me, as a child of the 80s, wore parachute pants (laughs) and a Swatch watch and a members-only jacket. Because that was cool, and that's what other people were doing, and that's what I did. You see, we were created to be relational. And because we are relational, we have the ability to influence and the ability to be influenced. That's just what comes with being relational. And we're going to talk about influence this morning. And before we dive in even, I just want to define it. I want to make sure we're on the same page. Uh, Influence, we, we understand, is the capacity to have an effect on the character, development, or behavior of someone or something, to sway, move, compel. And it originally comes from the Latin influent, which means to flow into or pour into. And that's kind of what I want to lean on this morning, this idea of it, it comes from water pouring into something and changing it. And that's the idea that we want, to to pour into someone else. We're far more open to influence even than we are to authority, aren't we? Influence moves us in a way that authority never will. And I also want to distinguish as well between influence and manipulation. When we're talking about influence, we're not talking about manipulation. Manipulation is the dark side of influence. Manipulation is a relational lie. It's influence for personal gain. But we're talking this morning about the power of influence because influence starts conversations and influence creates momentum and influence brings about change. And here's the thing, we all have it. Every one of us in this room has influence. You are influencers, and not just in getting people to listen to a certain song or eating a certain meal. You're culture shapers. You shape culture. You shape the culture of your family. You shape the culture of your workplace. Students, you shape the culture of your schools. All of you in this room shape the culture of Salem Alliance. Each of you in this room has a unique set of relationships, a unique set of opportunities for you to be influential in, for you to shape that culture. And so what are we doing with our influence? You see, we can affect change by simply being who we are and saying what we say and doing what we do. Our attitudes are transmitted like a virus to the people around us, and we can't abdicate that. 
We can't just say, oh, no, I mean, influence is for, for people in positions of power, influence is for that person, but not me. I'm not an influencer. We all are influencers, and God wants us to use that influence to make disciples. God wants us to use what has been poured into us to pour into other people so that we can share grace and truth, so that we can affect the kingdom of God. Matthew 28, 19 says this. It says, go and make disciples of all the nations. Go make disciples. All of us. God wants to use us. God wants to use what was poured into us by other people and Holy Spirit to make disciples in the world. And I would say this, if there's a big idea from this morning, it's this, disciple-making without influence isn't. That disciple-making takes influence to happen. Now, I'm not trying to put pressure on you and be like, you're the only one that can make this happen or, or say that God doesn't have a piece of this, but God uses us in this. I mean, you can probably think of people who have poured into you and have helped make you a better disciple. And you can... Understand that Holy Spirit has poured into you and God wants to use that to pour out to the world. We're gonna be in Acts chapter 16 this morning. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If you wanna grab one out of the pew and you have very good eyesight, uh, you can do that as well. It's on page 921. And we're gonna read an amazing story this morning. I love this narrative this morning. I love the adventure that happens in this story. But I think sometimes we have a tendency to read Bible stories from a distance. We read Bible stories like, yep, that was way back then, but that's not exactly how things are right now. But I want us to understand this morning that we are a part of this same story. And God, who did those things in this story, does those things in our culture today. And so we're a part of the same movement that's happening here. And so don't read this as distant. Read this as, wait a second, I'm a part of this. I'm a part of this story. In the same way that Paul used his influence to bring peace to his part of the world, we get to use what's been poured into us to bring peace to our part of the world. We're continuing on in our series called Revolution. And uh, last week, Rob talked to us about Paul's first missionary journey. And he talked about the gospel does not leave things intact, that it's not a tame gospel, that it comes in and it, and it knocks things over in such an amazing way. And we see that. We're, we're gonna study the second missionary journey this morning, and we still see that, still see the gospel knocking things over and not leaving things intact. If you want a, a visual of the second missionary journey, that should make complete sense to you, right? Just follow the line, and we can pretty much close in prayer right now. But we're not, we're not going to, we're gonna keep going. But our story takes place kind of halfway through this journey. If you look at the very top of that map, if you can read that, it says Philippi. And we're gonna be reading a story that happens in Philippi. Philippi was a small city until about 357 BC, and then it became a military stronghold, it became a large city. Rome came in, made it one of their cities, and a lot of uh, ex-military and Roman citizens kind of moved in and created a metropolis there. And that's kind of what we're reading about. And as we do, we're gonna look at three ways that we can use our influence. And if you wanna think of it even in terms of show and tell, we talk about show and tell around here as a way that we put the gospel forth. We, we show it through our actions and then we get to tell it as people become interested in it. Show and tell, and we're gonna see a little bit of show and tell in this story. So if you look at Acts chapter 16, starting in verse 13, it says, on the Sabbath, 
We went a little way outside the city to a riverbank where we thought people would be meeting for prayer. Now, there was no tabernacle at this time in the city of Philippi, so people who would meet for prayer were meeting uh, at Riverfront Park. We sat down to speak with some women who had gathered there. One of them was Lydia from Thyatira, a merchant of expensive purple cloth who worshiped God. As she listened to us, the Lord opened her heart and she accepted what Paul was saying. She was baptized along with other members of her household. Such a great beginning. We, we meet Lydia. Lydia is a wealthy businesswoman. She's a dealer in fashion, luxury goods. She deals in purple cloth, which actually came from her hometown. Romans would use purple cloth to kind of signify rank and honor. And so she was a dealer in luxury goods. She was a uh, wealthy, she had her own household. She ran her own business. She had a vacation home in Palm Springs. This is who we're dealing with. But it also says that she was a worshiper of God, which meant that she was a Gentile who had embraced Judaism, which means she was a Gentile who probably had a portion of the law that she was reading and she was following the law. She was religious, but she didn't know Jesus. And so Paul comes along, and I'm guessing that he's super excited to share his story with Lydia because that's Paul's story. Paul's story was a guy who had the law, but he didn't know Jesus, and then he had this encounter. And so Paul gets to come to her and say, you don't get justified by following the law. You get, you get justified by grace through faith. And let me explain who Jesus is, and it's this amazing thing because religious people need the gospel. Religious people are oftentimes burdened because they can't live up to their own standards. Religious people try and follow the law, and oftentimes they fall short, which leaves them grumpy and guilty. Because religion works from the outside in. Religion is this idea, if I do enough, if I behave well enough, if I live right enough, then I will make myself right and God will look at me favorably. Christianity works from the inside out. Christianity is Jesus comes in and changes your life, and it's nothing to do with our own works. And then we can do those things, and then we can walk in freedom. Religion says God is useful because my obedience is useful. It gets me what I want. But Christianity says, says God is beautiful. God is amazing, and he changes our lives, and we don't have to work for what we want because our deepest needs have already been met. And so Paul gets to come in and he gets to pour out, he gets to share his influence, he gets to share his story. And the Bible says that God opened her heart, she responded, it made sense, it clicked. She saw the beauty of the message and her life got changed and not just her life, the influence spilled into her household. And so the first thing I would say as ways that we can use our influence is just very simply, tell your story. We have to be a people who tell our stories. Now I know when that is said in a church setting, immediately we think of a scripted testimony about our conversion experience. When you hear tell your story, you're like, okay, he wants me to go out and tell about the time that, that I accepted Jesus into my heart. That's part of your story, hopefully, but that's not your whole story. I'm saying just tell your story, all of your story. Share your life with other people and you share then your faith is just a part of that life and how it's changed you and how it's shaped you and how it's given you hope because we are influenced by the stories of other people. I was having lunch this past week with a guy and as we were sitting there talking, uh, we went out and had uh, 
lunch together, and he's just, in his story, he's like, you know, I just feel like I need to start eating better. And then he kind of just went on, but that part of his story influenced me. And as it happened, we were sitting over burgers in this huge tray of french fries. And so I was like, yeah, that makes sense. I need to eat better too. But later on, that shaped what I got for dinner. This idea of he shared a little bit of his story, and I was like, yeah, there's truth to that, and there's truth to that from my life. And so I would say, ask people. A great way to share your story is to ask people to hear their story. Ask to hear how they met. Ask to hear where they grew up. Just share your story with people. Have them share their story with you. And it's a great way to use our influence. And here we have Paul doing that. And it's the beginning of the gospel taking hold in Philippi. And with the gospel taking hold in Philippi, uh, opposition is imminent. With every major breakthrough, there's a corresponding resistance, and we're going to see what that resistance is here in this story. Verse 16, it says, One day as we were going down to the place of prayer, we met a demon-possessed slave girl, resistance immediately coming in the form of, of a spiritual battle here. She was a fortune teller who earned a lot of money for her master's. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God and they have come to tell you how to be saved. Which kind of sounds like the right announcement, doesn't it? I mean, it sounds like what, as we hear it, but they would have heard it like these men are here to tell you about Zeus and they're here to tell you about prosperity and how to be rescued from something. It wasn't the right message and it wasn't the right messenger, all right? And it says that this went on day after day until Paul got exasperated. And here's the picture I had in my head of, of Paul kind of battling with this. You know, you're married, and it's the middle of the night, and you're sleeping next to your spouse, and your spouse just keeps coughing. And you're torn between this moment of compassion, I'm so sorry that you're coughing, and exasperation, would you please stop coughing? <laughs> right? And you're torn between that moment. I think Paul here in this moment is torn between compassion for this girl who is demon-possessed, and exasperation. Would you please stop following us and yelling this thing? Now, that's where the illustration breaks down, all right? Don't think that this applies to your spouse anymore because he's about to cast something out. <laughs> that, is, that is not what I'm saying, all right? That is not point two. <laughs> Don't walk away and be like, that was a great message. I have some stuff to talk to you about. <laughs> Paul's exasperated. So he turns and he says to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her, and instantly it left her. Freedom came to her life. Now her master's hopes of wealth were now shattered. So they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace. The whole city is in an uproar because of these Jews, they shouted to the city officials. They are teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. Not true. <clears throat> Judaism was a tolerated religion. They were allowed to teach what they were teaching but they didn't like it because they lost their source of income. I mean, truthfully, they should have dragged Paul and Silas there and they should have been like, these guys gave freedom to our slave and now we have to work for a living. And it stinks and we're mad. I mean, that was the truth of the matter, but they incited a riot and, you know, Rome loves order and these guys are bringing chaos. And so it says a mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten, then thrown into prison. 
There's no counter argument. There's no witnesses. There's no deliberation. This thing just escalated quickly. And Paul and Silas are severely beaten and thrown into prison. It says the jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape, which made me laugh as I read it because that's like jailing 101, isn't it? It's like page one of the syllabus is like, don't let prisoners escape. Okay, that's my job. But they told him that again. So the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. They'd been using their influence to bring the gospel to Lydia, to bring freedom to this slave girl, and now all of a sudden it landed them in jail. How do you respond to that? Because I know my response would be desperation, complaining, anger, despair. My prayers would look like this, really? Really? After all that I've done, I'm doing your work, Lord. And look what it brought me. Look where it brought me. What's going on? I would have been sitting there probably trying to loudly proclaim my innocence. I didn't do anything wrong. Get me out of here. And yet their response in verse 25, it says, around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. We don't see them complaining of abandonment. We don't see them cursing God. We see them having a prayer service. We see them worshiping God. They had a a joy rooted in something so deep that when you took away their freedom, when you took away their health, when you took away maybe even their lives, they could still worship. And their response in this moment was having a significant influence. It says that other people were listening. The other prisoners were all listening. They were all watching to see what was going on. And I think that's a good reminder for us as well. I think the second way that we can use our influence is just this reminder that we recognize the way we handle our struggles is incredibly influential. And I'm not saying, I'm not trying to put a baggage on you or guilt you and saying you have to respond this way every time. I'm just saying that people are watching how we respond to things. You see, oftentimes we think influence comes with authority in in authoritative positions and the more authority you have, the more influential you are, but you can be influential in whatever circumstance, even in the middle of things that you're struggling through. And honestly, when I first read this a couple weeks ago, Here's what I wrote down. I wrote down, it doesn't seem real. It doesn't seem honest. It seems like unrealistic, fake, naive, annoying Christian behavior. And I got this mental picture of someone coming alongside of Paul and Silas who were just bloody and beaten in the jail and being like, yep, praise God in the storm. Right? That just doesn't seem to ring true. And yet, there's a depth here. There's something deeper going on. Paul and Silas have this understanding that there's a bigger story at play. And they're not just looking here, they're looking here to see the bigger picture. And it got me thinking, how have I responded to God in moments of intense struggle? I can recall a time where I'm standing in a hospital room all by myself. My wife is just admitted to intensive care. And I'm just crying. I'm crying and I'm literally crying out. And I'm crying out to God because who else am I gonna cry out to? And I'm telling God, God, I'm not mad at you. 
And I'm saying it out loud to convince myself as well. God, I'm not mad at you, but I, what's going on? I don't get it. Why? And, and it turned into prayer, and then it turned into, God, I trust you. God, I worship you. God, I don't get it. I don't understand it. But I trust you. You see, God's okay with our questions. God's okay with our honesty. God's okay with our confusion. God's okay with how we feel. And in those moments, we respond to him honestly. Now, I really wanted to, to make this prescriptive. I really wanted to be like, okay, how do we put this principle into practice? How do we learn to worship God in these moments? And it really isn't prescriptive. I can't really give you like A, B, C, here's what, here's what you do, and then you'll be able to worship God in the middle of all this stuff. But I know that it's important, and I know that we see it all throughout Scripture. In Psalm 13, we find David at one of his lowest points, and he says, how long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? How long will my enemy have the upper hand? Turn and answer me, O Lord my God. Restore the sparkle to my eyes. I just love that line. Don't let my enemies gloat saying we have defeated him. Don't let them rejoice at my downfall. He's at an incredibly, incredibly low point, and yet he turns the corner here. But I trust in your unfailing love. I will rejoice because you have rescued me. I will sing to the Lord because he is good. And I just want to pray that blessing over us this morning. Jesus, I pray that you would bless this place with the courage to honestly grieve and honestly worship you. God, that you would bless us with the ability to lean in and be open and honest with our questions and our confusion and our worship. That we would be a place marked by worshiping you no matter what. In your name, Jesus, amen. That wasn't the most surprising thing they did, I don't think. The, the story continues. Verse 26 says, suddenly there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. Earthquake happened and everybody was freed. Absolutely amazing. Now, earthquake happens. What's your response to this moment? Thank you, Jesus, I'm out. Right? You look at this as like deliverance. This is amazing because in Acts chapter five, in Acts chapter 12, Peter's in prison and God gets him out. And so why wouldn't God get Paul and Silas out of prison that way? Let's do something miraculous and let's get out of here. But they didn't. They didn't leave. It says the jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped. So he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted to him, stop, don't kill yourself. We are all here. Now the jailer was probably retired military. Civil service jobs were given to retired military. And he was a man of honor and he didn't care about sentiment, he cared about honor, so he was gonna take his life because he was just gonna save the officials the time of, of killing him. Because if the prisoners escaped, he was dead anyway. And when he goes to kill himself, he hears Paul say, stop, don't kill yourself, we are all here. Every prisoner was still there. Think about that influence. I have no idea what Paul said to the prison to keep them all there. No, guys, seriously, it's better if we stay. <laughs> really. It's almost breakfast. No, I, I don't know. I don't know what he said, but his influence and, and the worship service that they had and his example got poured into the prisoners and somehow they all stayed. 
absolutely amazing. Jailer calls for lights. He ran to the dungeon. He fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now, I don't think this question carries the theological freight maybe that we want to add to it. I don't think he was asking for some kind of exposition on uh, justification and salvation through grace or anything like that. I think he was like, how do I get out of this mess? Help me get out of this mess. What's, what's going on here? Uh, now, Paul didn't change the subject. He just made it deeper. He knew the answer to both questions was the same. Believe in Jesus. Believe in Jesus. He showed this man, and now he was going to be able to tell him. They shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household. Even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them, finally, washed their wounds. Then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. He brought them into his house. The jailer actually broke them out of jail and set a meal before them, and he and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. Amazing. And I love that, and I think that's a way that we can use our influence. And the third way I would say is, is this, and it might sound a little bit funny, but surprising sacrifices. You see, the jailer didn't really need them to share the gospel. He probably was indifferent to the gospel, and he probably wouldn't have listened, but after their sacrifice, he listened. You see, Paul and Silas knew they could escape prison, but they would escape prison at the cost of the jailer's life. If Paul and Silas were to leave, they knew the jailer would get killed, and so they stayed because they had found a deeper freedom. And so they surprised the jailer with this sacrifice. And we need to be a people who live that way. I look back and, and think of Night to Shine. We surprised the community with just generosity and sacrifice. I think of, in a couple of weeks, uh, high school students, about 100 high school students and leaders will travel to Mexico to build houses. And every time we do that, the people we build houses for are blown away. They can't believe, first of all, that high school students who have no money raised money to pay for all the supplies of this house and to drive down and to build this house. And at the end of those four days, we get to hand over the keys. And when we hand over the keys, they're just absolutely amazed. They are so blown away, and they usually say something like, this isn't just my house, this is our house. And I'm like, don't, don't say that. You don't want to invite all these kids inside. <laughs> but they're just blown away. It's a surprising sacrifice, and may God give us the creativity and the courage to live that way, that we would just surprise others. We would show them the gospel in a very tangible, tangible way. A couple weeks ago, Billy Graham passed away, and his funeral uh, was shown to the world. The world celebrated the life of Billy Graham. They celebrated his character. They celebrated his faith. They celebrated his influence. And that's the interesting thing about funerals, right? When you go to a funeral, you don't celebrate accumulation. You don't go to a funeral, and they show like, and here's his two cars. Here's his boat. Here's his bank account. Look at all that money. No, we don't celebrate accumulation at a funeral. We celebrate influence, don't we? We celebrate generosity. Now, our problem is we celebrate generosity, but we envy accumulation. But that's what a funeral's about. A funeral's about relationships, and it's about influence. And if we can look forward, and if we can see, what will people say about us? When I get to the end of my life, will I have poured myself out 
for other people? Well, I have poured myself out for the gospel. Well, I have used what God has given me, the influence that he's given me to share his grace and truth. And so I'll leave you with this question. A question we can ask ourselves. How can I leverage my influence for the sake of the kingdom? Who out there in Salem in the world might be waiting specifically for you to leverage your influence so that they can hear about Jesus. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thanks for your word. Jesus, thank you that this isn't just a story that happened long ago that we read but have no part in. This is our story. This is our movement. This is our moment. And so Jesus, give us courage Continue to pour into us, Jesus. We want to be open to that so we can continue to pour into other people. All to bring fame to your name, not for our glory, but for yours, Jesus. It's in your name that we pray, amen. Salem Alliance Church is a community of Jesus followers located in downtown Salem, Oregon. And we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. If you have a request that we could pray for, please email us at prayers at salemalliance.org. You can view today's entire service online at livestream.com backslash Salem Alliance.